Why would anyone endure pain and suffering for following Jesus Christ? As you read through Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, you will notice that he talks about the many problems that he had encountered and had to face. Chapter 1. We read there the fourth verse. About the trouble that the Lord's people were to be comforted for. He speaks in verse 6, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation. At verse 8, and we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death. Nancy writes, he has very much before him the fact that as he had followed Christ, as he had preached the good news, trouble, affliction, persecution, prison, beatings, had followed him at every hand. It is very clear uh, that Paul did not preach the gospel so he could enjoy an easy life. He did not do it to get rich quick. In fact, his endurance was not about bodily comfort and well-being. So why did he endure? Why did he go forward with such confidence? Why did he see himself as a preacher of hope and joy? We find the reason in the words of our text for today, which you will find at verse 14 in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all then were all dead for the love of Christ constraineth us firstly who is this Christ who is the one who was anointed to save his people. Chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Jesus Christ is the Son of God the Father. Emmanuel, God is with us. Remember that great testimony of when he was baptized. That voice that spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was in prayer in the garden, just before his crucifixion, he prayed these words, John 17 verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He could say this without any sin, only because of his divinity. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. John 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. His teaching now, recorded in John chapter 10, stirred up the religious leaders. They wanted to stone him. To put him to death. Why? They answered, for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. As Matthew Henry and puts it, the Jews understood him as hereby making himself God, and he did not deny it. And the second person of the Trinity is the Son of the Father by eternal generation. On the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, who had set out on a journey to persecute the disciples of Christ, was stopped in his tracks. He was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was radically changed from a violent persecutor to a persevering witness. Paul's ministry as he travelled was, as he says in Second Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12, to preach Christ's gospel, his good news, all about Christ's death and resurrection. He came from glory and died on the cross at Calvary. But that death, that humiliating death, was not the end. For we read Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15, which died for them and rose again. He is the living Christ. 
for he rose triumphantly on the third day. The apostle brings out something else about Christ. The Christ he preached about. Chapter 5 and the 10th verse. We read those awesome words. For we must all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He is the judge. He is the one who sees within you your motives, your attitudes, your open sins, your secret sins. He knows what you're thinking at this very moment. It is him before whom we will have to stand and give account. He is truly the Lord of glory. He has the authority and capability to examine everyone who has ever lived and to make righteous judgment. He looks upon the heart, not merely the outward appearance. You will appear before him. He is the divine judge. Why did Paul endure such suffering and persecution? Because of who Christ is. The eternal son. Who came. And died on that cross. Rose in triumph. Before whom we will stand. As the judge. But secondly. We see. The love. Of. Christ. Christ's love is seen in his death for his people. Chapter 5, verse 14. One died for all. After all those generations of priests who offered animal sacrifices, there was one who came and died once and for all. The price was paid. Hear him on the cross cry, it is finished. He had made the perfect sacrifice when he offered himself to make atonement. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
he brought, as we read in verse 19, reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This is talking about how our sins, if our trust is in Christ, were placed on him, and how his righteousness is placed upon us. In Psalm 23, we read those well-known words, beloved of so many, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus gave us this glorious picture of himself and of his love and of his care and his ministry and his work in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. Verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. What marked out the good shepherd? The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What selfless love is that? The promise made to Eve in Genesis 3 verse 15 was fulfilled on the cross. The seed of the woman had won the victory. Where Adam had failed, where Adam had brought death upon us all, Christ won the victory and brought life for all who trust in him. His great love is seen on that cross. The good shepherd who gave his life. But remember, when he died there, as Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, it was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for good people. He died for people who were his enemies. Who had nothing good to offer. People who were hopeless. Like Lazarus's body in that tomb could be said, he stinketh. And it is true of us in the sight of God. If we stand before God in our own being, relying upon what we have done, what a stench of sin. But Christ died. On that cross, 
while we were yet sinners. What love is this? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What an act of grace this was. What love. When you consider Christ, what awe and reverence should fill you. 2 Corinthians 5 at the 11th verse. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The Lord of glory. The eternal Son. He came. To suffer the just for the unjust. The good shepherd laid down his life. He who will sit in judgment. Here it is. Who has loved us. What awe, what reverence should be ours before him. He is holy. We are sinners. What grace and mercy is seen at the cross. Remember that even on that cross, as he suffered there, as he was reviled, he had time for grace. He had time to comfort the afflicted. Remember, there were two men who were crucified with him. And when one of those men saw his own sin and guilt, we indeed justly, he said. He looked at Christ and said, this man, This man, what about him? He saw him as innocent. And he asked to be remembered. Remember me, he said. What faith he had. He was blessed with these words of great assurance. Luke 23, verse 43. This day wilt thou be with me in paradise. What manner of love is this? The holy, eternal Son laid down his life to save his people from their sins. And he demonstrated, he showed forth that love and grace to the dying thief who called unto him in repentance and faith. This love of Christ is not mere sentiment. It's not something soft and fluffy. This love of Christ was a powerful, costly sacrifice. He came to suffer and die to make reconciliation. Reconciling Lost sinners like us 
to the Holy God. Then we see that Christ's love constrains. It certainly did with the Apostle Paul. He endured. He persevered. He preached and proclaimed the good news that Christ Jesus died to save sinners from their sin. He died to make reconciliation with the Holy God. He proclaimed the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because the love of Christ constrained him. As he says in verse 15, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but to him which died for them and rose again. That's what it means to be bought with a price. When you've been bought by the Lord at such great cost, What is it to deny yourself to take up your cross daily and follow him? This world has nothing to offer. Christ has everything. Paul often described himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He saw his life as being one, as following, as seeking to do the will of him who had done all for him. He knew that he had life in Christ in contrast to death in Adam. He knew that in Adam he deserved nothing but condemnation and punishment. But in Christ he had life. He had a a work to undertake. He had been left here as a witness for Jesus. As the Lord said just before his ascension, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Ye shall be witnesses Unto me. The apostle describes himself at verse 20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. How did he measure his life? Did he look back and think everywhere of being nothing but success, multitudes converted, churches booming? No, that's not how he looked upon it. Chapter 2, the 14th verse. 
Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. Success, triumphing, was measured by the proclamation of the good news at every opportunity. Because Christ was announced and glorified thereby. God is glorified in saving souls and in righteous judgment. It is our duty, our responsibility. Indeed, the love of Christ constrains us to proclaim this good news. The good news of reconciliation at every opportunity. We plant, we water, but it is the Lord that giveth the increase. He accomplishes his purpose through the proclamation of his word. What do you know about the love of Christ? Have you looked unto him who died on the cross and rose in triumph from the tomb? Have you cried out to him for mercy? Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Does the love of Christ constrain you? Does it affect the way you think? The way you live? How you are when you meet together here in church? When you're at home with your family, at school, in the place of work, does the love of Christ constrain you? If you knew more of the love of Christ, you would be filled with a great desire to live for him, be his witness, to show forth his love in the church fellowship, in the community, in the home, at work. Oh, dear friends, let us look to Christ and see the wonder of his love displayed in his death and resurrection. I do pray that this day you will cry unto him and repentance and faith, seeking mercy, rejoicing in his love. What a wonderful Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all,
then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Amen.